హలో లిజనర్స్ వెల్కమ్ టు ఇతిహాస అండ్ ఇండిక్ హిస్టరీ పాడ్కాస్ట్ దిస్ ఇస్ యువర్ హోస్ట్ నరేంద్ర విక్రమ్ అండ్ యూర్ లిజనింగ్ టు ఎపిసోడ్ ఫిఫ్టీ సెవెన్ ఆఫ్ ది సీజన్ విజయనగర వీ కంటిన్యూ అవర్ జర్నీ త్రూ ది క్యాప్టివేటింగ్ యానల్స్ ఆఫ్ హిస్టరీ ఇన్ అవర్ ప్రీవియస్ ఎపిసోడ్ వీ ఎంబాక్ట్ ఆన్ ది ఎక్స్ప్లరేషన్ ఆఫ్ ది అసెన్షన్ ఆఫ్ వెంకటపతిరాయ ద రూలర్ హూ ఇన్హెరిటెడ్ అన్ ఎంపైర్ విత్ బిగ్ షూస్ టు ఫిల్ Today we pick up where we left off, delving deeper into his remarkable rule. As we step further into the corridors of time, we'll uncover the challenges and triumphs that define Venkataptaraya's reign. From navigating internal strife to taking the fight to the Deccan Sultanates, cementing his legacy, his story is one of resilience and leadership that shaped the fate of Vijayanagara. So join us as we resume our exploration of this extraordinary chapter in history right here on Itihasa India History Podcast. But before we dive in, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our show so you won't miss a moment of this captivating historical narrative. In 1589 CE, Emperor Venkata made a pivotal decision that would reshape the course of history. It's explicitly stated that his campaigns against the Deccan Sultanates began immediately after his coronation. This marked a dramatic departure from the previous strategy of Vijayanagara, where rulers had predominantly focused on defensive measures against its enemies in Deccan. Before Venkata's reign, the Vijayanagara empire had largely contented itself with defending its territories. Notably, Thirumala and later Ranga I had concentrated on safeguarding their domains from external threats. Ranga I, for instance, had taken action only to expel the Deccan Sultanate forces from Ahobhilam and its surroundings. However, Venkata II chose a different path. He inaugurated his rule as Emperor of Vijayanagara with an offensive campaign. a clear strategy shift that would ultimately prove to be a game changer while it would take some years for this offensive to fully materialize venkata's decision marked the opening of a new era in the long standing struggle between vijayanagara and the deccan sultanates this shift would set the stage for a series of events that would define the future of the empire and its interactions with the Muhammadans in the Deccan. In a dramatic turn of events, on the eve of Raya's ascension, the Sultan of Golconda, Muhammad Kuli Qutub Shah, launched a bold invasion into the heart of Vijayanagara territory. His goal? To crush the assertive Venkata Raya, who unlike his predecessors, was a lot more cunning and formidable. With determination burning in his eyes, Muhammad Kuli Qutub Shah set his sights on Penkonda, marching forward with a formidable army as the sun dipped below the horizon the sultan's forces arrived at the fort of penkonda met by eerie silence without hesitation they initiated a relentless siege hoping to crush their adversary swiftly venkata stationed within the besieged city swiftly dispatched his trusted minister gobaraja timma and his fearless general paviya chitti as ambassadors to the Golconda Sultan. In an unexpected twist, these envoys brokered an armistice, a temporary ceasefire. 
intended to pave way for peace negotiations. Little did the Golconda Sultan realize that Venkata had a cunning plan up his sleeve. The wily sovereign used the so-called ceasefire to fortify his defenses and gather vital supplies. In the cover of night as the moon cast an enigmatic glow upon the battlefield, the Hindus seized the moment. With incredible swiftness, they stocked up provisions, ensuring they were prepared for a long and grueling siege. On the fourth day, led by the indomitable Jagadevaraya, flanked by contemporary battle-hardened veterans like Gulrang Sethi, Manupraj and Papiya Samambayar, a formidable force of 30,000 Vijayanagara musketeers slipped into the besieged Penukunda fort. Venkata, realizing the urgency of the situation, called upon Achyutanayaka of Tanjavur for further reinforcements. At his father's command, the brave prince Raghunathanayaka embarked on a difficult journey, followed by hundreds of loyal tributary chiefs. They raced against time to reach Penukunda, as the fate of the empire was hanging in the balance. The sultan's forces despite their renewed siege efforts failed to make a dent. The monsoon rains approached, supply lines grew thin, and the Krishna river ominously swelling. It had threatened to cut off all the communication and supply lines with Golconda. In the face of these dire circumstances, the sultan was left with no choice but to lift the siege, concealing the humiliating defeat inflicted upon his army. by the resolute venkataraya multiple sources mention this event and there's a little reason to doubt their accuracy the ragunada abhyudayam which focuses on ragunada nayaka's deeds tells us that when ragunada and his troops arrived at fort of penukunda many of the emperor's enemies fled in fear while a few mounted cavalrymen or horsemen tried to resist but it was all futile it is described in records that ragunada nayaka was a brave warrior himself and he had easily defeated the sultanate forces scattering them like rama did with the rakshasas this was just one part of the great army's victory under venkata's leadership the battle for supremacy in these turbulent times and the resurgent vijayanagara empires reassertion had only just begun and the outcome would shape the destiny of empires in a stunning turn of events it appears that the golconda army having faced fierce resistance from the fortified garrison of penukonda chose to retreat northward and they were hotly pursued by the determined hindus venkatapitraya as recounted in ramarajyamu mustered his forces and relentlessly chased the invader the son of ibrahim qutubshah none other than muhammad quli qutubshah himself this relentless pursuit took them all the way to the very heart of golconda in a climactic showdown on the banks of the pennar river venkatapitraya's forces clashed with muhammad quli qutubshah's army the battlefield was transformed into a blood soaked arena with the crimson waters of the river bearing witness to the ferocity of the battle the sheer scale of this confrontation left an indelible mark on the history of both the empires so much so that nearly all of the venkata's grants make mention of this monumental event
the Battle of Pinar was no ordinary one. It had all the elements of a dramatic movie in the making. Amidst the relentless downpour of the monsoon, a pivotal moment unfolded on the banks of the Pinar River. The Golconda Sultan and his forces pressed against the ferocious river's edge, made a bold decision that they would stand and fight, refusing to yield an inch of ground to their relentless Hindu pursuers. As the rain poured down, turning the battlefield into a muddy quagmire, the Golconda forces prepared for a showdown. They positioned their formidable artillery, the prized cannons, ready to unleash a thunderous barrage upon the approaching Vijayanagara forces. Their plan was clear. Pummel the enemy with artillery fire and then unleash their formidable cavalry to crush the now disarrayed Vijayanagara lines. But fate had a different script in mind. Venkataraya, standing at the forefront, exuding inspiring leadership, let his brave Vijayanagara warriors headlong into the storm of cannon fire. With every deafening blast, they pressed forward, determination etched on their faces. In a daring move, special strike units from the Vijayanagara forces targeted the enemy artillery positions. They moved swiftly. Their mission was clear, to neutralize the cannons that threatened to rain death upon their fellow soldiers. The battle raged on, the air thick with acidic smell of gunpowder, and the echoing thunder of cannons. The Pennar River, once a barrier, now bore witness to the clash of titans. In the end, as the rain-soaked battlefield was strewn with the bodies of the fallen, it was the Golconda forces who faced the bitter taste of defeat. Their ranks lay shattered and hundreds of desperate soldiers plunged into the turbulent waters of the Pennar seeking refuge from the relentless pursuit and inevitable massacre that followed in the wake of their route. The river, once their last hope, became a desperate escape route for those who survived the onslaught, but most of them drowned. In the wake of this clash, the Golconda ruler found himself forcibly stripped of troops, horses, elephants, and even the regal symbols of authority like the white umbrella and parasols. All of this came at the hands of the formidable soldiers under the command of the mighty king Venkatapitraya. It is a tale of despair and faded glory as the son of Malik Ibrahim, none other than Muhammad Shah, found himself defeated and humbled on the field. Day after day, he returned to his palace, his radiance diminished, his name ironically made infamous by the repeated defeats at the hands of this formidable Hindu emperor, Venkataraya. But this was not a lone battle in which the despaired Sultan lost. It appears there were several battles, each one further tarnishing the once glorious Golconda ruler's reputation. According to Vellangadi plates, Muhammad Shah suffered repeated defeats at the hands of this relentless king's army. Regularly, he would return from the battlefield dejected and stripped of his elephants, horses, weapons and even his regal umbrella. The resounding defeat of the Golconda Sultan echoed through history. 
finding mention not only in the Padmaneri grant but also in the Mangalampad grant, forever sealing the fate of the Muhammadan ruler in the hands of Venkatapitaraya, who decided to give back to the Deccan sultans in the language they understood the best, which was force. The anonymous chronicler of Golconda unveils a strategic vulnerability that played into Venkata's hands. He recounts how the Muhammadan troops summoned to bolster the Grand Army against Penakonda had abandoned the district of Kandabir, leaving it wholly unprotected. This presented Venkata with a golden opportunity to reclaim a portion of the territory lost in the previous humiliating battle of the Lakota. Even before the ultimate defeat of Muhammad Shah, Venkata had seized the moment. He swiftly dispatched a formidable force to aid Kaulananda, the Raja of Udaygiri fort, with explicit orders to unleash devastation upon the land, stretching as far as Kandabir and the Krishna River. The Raja in turn entrusted his son-in-law with the mission. In a series of fierce battles against the Muhammadans, he displayed unwavering courage. However, the tide turned against the Raja's son-in-law and he faced a formidable adversary in the form of Afzal Khan and Ajra Khan. In the end, despite his valour and determination, the son-in-law suffered a crushing defeat, losing 3,000 of his men to death, injury or capture, along with the entirety of his camp equipment. In the midst of these events, Venkataraya rallied a colossal army a formidable force numbering 100,000 warriors. Now, some of this might be embellished. It probably wasn't 100,000, a little bit less. At the helm of this mighty army stood distinguished leaders, each a pillar of strength in their own right. Their mission was clear, to wrest the fort of Gandikota from the grip of Sanjur Khan, who had held it in his grasp for far too long. As the siege of Gandikota unfolded, the Hindu forces faced relentless harassment from the garrison within the city walls. But they displayed unyielding resolve, persevering in their determined siege, driven by a singular purpose. It was during these trying days that troubling news reached their ears, a grim report that Murtaza Khan, at the head of the main Kolkonda army, has seized the city of Karapa laying waste to its famed temples in a cruel and devastating assault. As the unsettling news reached Venkata's ears, he wasted no time. He swiftly deployed his trusted generals Yaltamraj and Manupraj, leading a formidable cavalry of 10,000 warriors to confront the looming threat posed by Murtaza Khan. And it wasn't long before Venkata himself followed marching forth with the remainder of his formidable army, which was a force to be reckoned with. Simultaneously, word of these rapid developments reached the Sultan of Golconda. In a swift response, he dispatched a determined force of 5,000 horsemen, led by the resolute Rustam Khan, to reinforce Murtaza Khan's embattled troops. 
For three long months, the valiant Murtaza Khan stood as a barrier against the relentless Hindu onslaught. Their numbers swelled to such an extent that the Muhammadans found themselves unable to risk a direct confrontation. Instead, they resorted to plundering and severing supply lines with their options dwindling. Upon Rustam Khan's arrival, he assumed command of all the troops in accordance with the Sultan's directives. However, the ensuing events would, would take an unexpected turn. On the day following his arrival, Rustam Khan's forces crossed a river and set up camp on dark clay terrain, still damp from recent rains. But rather than engaging the Hindus in battle, Rustam Khan opted for a cautious approach. It was at this moment that an intriguing twist unfolded on the battlefield. The Hindu army, perhaps to amuse their own soldiers or for reasons known only to them, devised a remarkable scheme. They adorned red bullocks with gilded horns, painting its hides in kaleidoscope of colors and adorning it with bells that jingled with every step. This transformed the creatures, colored in vibrant hues, was then driven towards the confused Muhammadan forces. Rustam Khan, positioned at the forefront of his army and alone, was taken aback by this bizarre creature or this spectacle before him. Overwhelmed by a sense of fear of strange animals rushing towards him, which he probably mistook for some secret Vijayanagara weapon, he swiftly retreated to the rear of his ranks to get out of immediate danger. And this obviously sought panic among his own troops. The Hindus seizing the opportunity presented by the disarray among the Golconda forces wasted no time. They encircled their adversaries with their musketeers, launching a relentless barrage of gunfire from all directions. In this surreal and dramatic turn of events, the battlefield became a cauldron of chaos and confusion. The once confident Golconda ranks were now ensnared in merciless grip of a well-coordinated Hindu assault, their muskets raining death from every angle. The Golconda cavalry, the backbone of their formidable army, found themselves trapped in the unforgiving clutches of the wet and heavy black soil. Their desperate attempts to charge through this treacherous terrain proved futile. Instead, they became sitting targets, picked off one by one by the relentless Hindu musketeers. In the face of this relentless onslaught, it seemed as if annihilation loomed upon the Golconda army. Yet amidst the chaos and carnage, Murtaza Khan emerged as a fearsome warrior. Gathering a small, determined band of warriors, he carved a path through the ranks of the Vijayanagara encirclement. In doing so, he gallantly shielded the retreat of many of Golconda soldiers. However, the price of this valiant effort was steep. Their entire camp lay plundered and the losses they suffered were staggering. The defeat suffered by the Golconda forces on this fateful day was nothing short of devastation. The Golconda chronicler's somber conclusion underscored the gravity of their predicament on that day in the battlefield. 
Rustam Khan upon his return to Hyderabad faced not just disgrace but humiliation that would haunt him for a long time. It is said he was even dressed up in a female attire and publicly paraded in a humiliating manner by this Deccan Sultan. This punishment marked the beginning of his exile, forever banished from the kingdom he had once served. The outcome of this encounter would reverberate through the Vijayanagara history and was a testament to the unpredictable nature of warfare, where even a painted bullock could sway the tides of battle. Amin ul-Mulk, the trusted minister of the Golconda Sultan, dispatched officers to collect long-delayed taxes from the Jagirdars or local rulers in that region. However, the Jagirdars in the Telugu region, harboring hopes of shaking off the Mohammedan rule with the aid of the resilient new Vijayanagara sovereign, refused to pay. In a bold show of solidarity, they even extended an invitation to the Vijayanagara ruler to join their resistance against Muhammad Kuli's forces. As a tangible display of their intent, these Jagidars brazenly pillaged the Golconda territory near Kandabir. Importantly, it's worth noting that not all of these Jagidars were Hindus. Among their ranks, the Golconda chronicler and the Aminabad inscription mention four rebels of Golconda army. Two were Mohammedans and two were Hindus. The recorded names include Alam Khan Patan, Khan Khanan, Sabaji Maratha and Baliya Rao, which closely align with the names mentioned in the inscription. It's important to note that other chiefs also joined the revolt. Upon receiving reports of this growing disaffection among the Jagirdars, Etbar Khan, Aminul Mulk himself, took charge of a force to confront the rebellious leaders. After thorough preparations, he embarked from Hyderabad, leading a formidable cavalry of 10,000 warriors. Upon his approach to Kandabir, Amin ul-Mulk found himself face to face with Kaulananda, the Raja of Udaygiri that we saw earlier. Given Kaulananda's recent interactions with Venkata, he was suspected of being the mastermind behind the local rebellions. Acting swiftly, the Muslim general apprehended the Hindu chief and sentenced him to death. This decisive action sent shockwaves through the ranks of the insurgents. The rebels, comprising a force of 7,000 cavalry and 10,000 infantry, were entrenched within the formidable fortress, which actually cannot be traced today, somewhere in that region. This is not to be con- confused with the Udaygiri fort. This was a different fort. Yet the prospect of a confrontation with the Golconda army left them hesitant and apprehensive. Instead, they opted to retreat and join forces with Venkataraya their, and their confidence in his leadership unwavering. Amin ul-Mulk pursued them diligently, although his efforts were primarily limited to laying waste to their territories and asserting control. The Aminabad inscription vividly describes Amin al-Mulk's crossing of the river Krishna at the head of a substantial Golconda army, likening his advance to dispersion of darkness before the rising sun. This was how it was chronicled poetically by his own chroniclers. 
Upon his return to Kandiber, Amin al-Mulk took a stern stance, rounding up numerous of the rebels who had supported them. Approximately 200 of them were condemned to execution. However, despite the stringent measures, the Muslim general found himself unable to quell the rebellion. After enduring a series of strategic setbacks and reversals, the Andhra Desa region found itself under the sole authority of Venkataraya. He continued to exert a potent influence with his army in the south. Following the defeat suffered at Talikota, the Telugu-dominated Andhra Desa region once more fell under the sway of Vijayanagara Samrajya, marking a significant turning point. This transformation becomes abundantly clear when examining accounts such as the Ramarajyamu and tracing the subsequent history of the Telugu country during Venkatasarin. Both sources vividly illustrate the ultimate triumph of the Hindu sovereign in the northeastern corner of the ancient empire. For instance, many of the records portray the Sultan of Golconda as a humble supplicant, seeking terms of peace and ultimately settling with Venkata on the condition that the Krishna river would henceforth serve as a boundary between their respective territories. For the Hindu ruler, this was a profoundly gratifying development. It signified the reclamation of all lost territories and restoration of the historic boundaries between Vijayanagara and Golconda. In short, Vijayanagara had reclaimed all its lands that it had lost after the Battle of Tallikota. As we conclude this episode, we have delved into the remarkable reign of Venkataraya, a period of resurgence and triumph for the Vijayanagara Empire. The shifting tides of power, the challenges faced and the indomitable spirit of a dynasty that refused to be vanquished. But our journey is far from over. In the next installment, we'll continue to unravel the legacy of Venkataraya, exploring the heights of his rule and the enduring impact he left on the Vijayanagara Empire. Join me in the next episode as I delve deeper into the annals of history and discover the stories that shaped and broke an empire. This is your host, Narendra Vikram, and thank you for tuning in. I look forward to sharing more captivating tales with you in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And until next time, have a nice day.